the front page pass brought to you by word journeys the literary world's hottest new podcast fellow publishing industry expert and author illustrator designer join together in bringing you the latest news discussions and literary related entertainment for readers writers and educators alike okay so welcome to front page pass we're currently on episode number four and i have to say we're enjoying ourselves as you can see we are missing one of the hosts bobby Allen. um so you guys are going to be stuck with me today uh, but anyways, he's out on the road to California, which that means there's some good things in store. We have a lot of really interesting guests coming up, one today that is in California, but I will just be interviewing while I'm alone. Um, but in the upcoming uh, weeks, Bob will be interviewing a, a wide array of people, of different authors, uh, all across different genres. So we have a lot of different personalities we're going to be introducing on the podcast. So we're all looking um, forward to that a whole lot. And as I did mention on episode one, just kind of some things that we had in store for Front Page Pass and Word Journeys as a whole, because, you know, Front Page Pass is presented by us. So um, we'll be going to quite a few writers' conferences since things are starting to open up, you know, during the pandemic. I mean, things were virtual or events were canceled altogether and ones that we would have been to, you know, that we all went to fairly frequently. The last one that I recall going to was Digital Book World uh, pre-pandemic 2019. I sure do miss those days, but um, anyways, we'll be getting back to it here soon, and we plan to bring you guys some vlogs. We're going to do, do a bit of streaming. Some that we are potentially going to would be the Southern California Writers Conference, um, Missouri Writers Guild Conference. Uh, one that I really do want to go to is Killer Nashville, which is a conference like specifically aimed at thriller, mystery, suspense, etc., and I think they do delve into some horror. Then, and these are all just potential podcasts. Um, or potential places we're going to be going to. So in the San Francisco Writers for Change Conference is one that we, we were looking at. So there's just quite a few, um, just kind of speculation right now, but we really do plan on going to them and bringing you guys some killer content along the way. So, uh, and especially Digital Book World, which happens to be one of my favorite ones out there. We're going to be interviewing some of the biggest names in the literary game as well. So um, anyway, so we're going to get to interviewing uh, a guest that has we've worked with for quite some time, and he is make quite a career for himself, author Greg Walter of the Ridge Walkers. So, all right. So, um, with, without further ado, um, I'd like to introduce you guys to a guest that we are, have all really been looking forward to having on, um, Greg Walter, author of the Ridge Walkers. He is also a historian, a veteran, and a, I would say a cryptozoologist, really. Um, has a lot of enthusiasm about Bigfoot and that entire community and just a lot of a lot of knowledge and really interesting things to talk about. And as I said, his new book, The Ridge Walkers, was just unveiled last year. So um, we're all still really excited about that. So, Greg, um, just tell us a bit about your book. I know you're going to read us a segment from it, um, probably one of your favorites, um, right? Yes. So I'm Greg Walter. I'm a new author, and I've had a lovely experience with, with Alexa the Word Journeys uh, team and helping me with marketing, publishing, editing, um, all aspects of book production. And so it's been it's it's been wonderful. It's been quite a journey as far as doing this in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, but but also I think that there's there's um, it's it's still been something that I've greatly looked forward to, and um, and continuing work in all of mm -hmm. this direction and and the way that 
the way the whole process has sort of unfolded, and I'm sure this happens for authors where it starts with a book and then they realize, well, you know, geez, you know, I want to look at this more from the standpoint of a screenplay mm -hmm. and then through friends and so forth like this that, that I have that, that are very knowledgeable in this told me, well, Greg, why don't you try to format this to a seven episode miniseries, mm -hmm. you know, designed for television. And then if you had to, you could go back and make it into a screenplay. Exactly. That's a very simple move mm -hmm. there. And then in that, I plan to do some revisions that I think are just going to make mm -hmm. the book even flow faster. Yeah, and exactly. So, um, so I'm having a lot of fun with that. <laughs> um, if you want me to, I can even start with, um, so I can start with obviously reading a segment of the book. Sure, yeah, if you could kind of explain to some of our audience here, of course I have before, I know I did a, a brief reading and kind of talked somewhat and summarized your book, but if you want to kind of, um, just as like a quick summary of the book and then uh, the the chapter that you plan to read or the segment you plan to read, whether it's from the uh, the miniseries uh, uh, aspect of it or the book itself, so yeah, looking forward to hearing it. Okay, yeah, I could do both. Um, okay. Yeah, so so the book is, is, is based on a man's life, basically my life, mm -hmm. You know, going all the way back to the U.S. Coast Guard and even before that, my early upbringing and how I got into the grand, the grandeur of nature and and all the different things it offers. Uh, and in that, you know, I sort of stumbled into a situation, but I went through sort of it's almost like it's almost like Alex as a character. Mm -hmm. That would be me goes through a series of sort of mistakes, but also mm -hmm struggles in his life that then from there, you know, led him up on a fishing boat in Alaska that almost rolls. And, um, and that was, of course, right at midnight, you got to love these things when they happen at midnight <laughs> during a storm in a nasty place. Um, you know, you have to be mean to your characters, in other words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So have a bit of adversity. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so through that, mm -hmm. you know, he would come out the other end and, um, and he realized that he needed redemption mm -hmm. and right. he had to go on this, this journey. And, and in that journey, he would run across a Sasquatch. Now the backstory of that is that, is that, is that in the book, and this is, this is to create characters and so forth like this. Um, and this is all based on a real life experience, mm -hmm. you know, from my own life, but, but it also has to do with um, the antagonist and building that side of the story mm -hmm. and then from there also building the the world of the sasquatch and and i actually ran with that from native lore mm -hmm. where they say that these things exist in two worlds and so however we wish to interpolate that and so so that's what i decided to do was world building on that other side yeah and so it takes place on another planet part of the book does and then and then from there there's also a billionaire that is that is also uh, basically hired hunters to go after this thing. And so that that way they can hang him in a trophy room, um, you know, along with his white mm -hmm. buffalo and so forth like this, like billionaires all love to do. Of course, yes. And that's where somewhat of the strong environmental message comes into play also and yeah. kind of preserving, you know, yes. the spiritual yeah. aspects of it. Yeah. So, mm. and so that's the thing with the strong environmental message is that is that I have these things, rather than in the horror genre, like Stephen King loves to put you know, creatures of, of your, um, mm -hmm. yes. I just have to put them more in a spiritual realm mm -hmm. and something where, you know, they more or less want to help us, but also they need us to help ourselves. And, you know, and in the situation that, that we've built, 
um, there's a great book by um, by Robin Kemmerer, I yes. think her name mm-hmm. is, Braiding yep. Sweetgrass. And, and in that, she talks about how, you know, have we come to a place where we fear our own atmosphere? And, oh, that's um, interesting, yes. And that, yeah, to me, that really stuck mm-hmm. and really resonated just because of the fact that it's not just the fires in the West, it's tornadoes, it's mm-hmm. storms, it's 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 everything. And a friend of mine also mentioned one time that, you know, it's like, it's like what's the aggregate cost of yes. global warming? You know, what is it costing everybody, the U.S. taxpayer, and just people personally as far as loss of home and so forth like this and so and so that's kind of the environmental part of it um um, you know another message there too that was rather interesting was that was that how um you know in in the northwest and one of the towns up there they had a salmon festival this last year Mm -hmm. and everybody had to eat chicken because there was no no salmon exactly yes and so you know right there that's another you know you know it's one of the other markers saying okay we've we've come too far with this and we got problems and and they have to get fixed mm-hmm. and in your book in, the in way the neighbor- you wrote it those messages into your book is really is done in a really well way where it's it's subtle enough that it's not you know that the message doesn't become preachy but at the same time i mean you, you still get it across just through the characters and the events that have that unfold and some of like the more philosophical musings that you know i really enjoyed in the book so i feel like that the way you portrayed that message you know as an author you really did it justice to be quite honest so cool yeah so 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 anyways the part i'm going to read in the book that i thought i thought was was i don't know there's parts of the book that really resonated with me Mm -hmm. that i thought hey this is strong this has got a good message here and um and so this is this is part where where alex is in a transition he lost his lovely girlfriend deanna Mm -hmm. and um and basically is in this place of okay i guess i have to go walking on the ridges and um and so in that he is preparing for the trip and he goes into a fishing guide um you know little store or establishment and he's outside and the fishing guide is an older man and he's in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. and so and so the other fishing guides are off doing their thing but um but this guy he was like the patriarch of the business yes and this actually happened to me this was in this was in a little Mm -hmm. hamlet up there in northern california (laughs) And, um, and this guy was just crazy as hell. And, um, but it was kind of fun because he did make the message of saying, well, get in time to burn it, you know, like this. So that's the part I'll read. Are you ready? Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Whenever you're ready. All right. And so, and so working on the fishing trawler until it nearly capsized on a dark stormy night provided a wake up and a search for meaning, my true self. Near death experiences can do that. I was in good physical shape and could backpack across the landscape with ease. I knew the general route and the only available map showed a trail that looked deceitfully easy. While planning for the trip, I made a brief stop at a small crossroads a Riverside Hamlet where I struck up a conversation with Glenn Plunker of Plunker's Guide Service. The owner, a local elderly fishing guide, was now restricted to a wheelchair. I engaged in light conversation about the area and how the fish were biting. The old timer enjoyed my queries. Are the native salmon runs being affected by the dams? I asked. Boy, did that open a can of worms. <laughs> Damn straight there, kid. Salmon have paid a heavy price for so-called progress. I hit a sore point, so I shifted topics, making a casual mention of backpacking on the nearby ridge lines. 
The old man suddenly grabbed my forearm tightly, glaring up at me from his wheelchair with sharp, mean, beady eyes and a stern warning. You be careful up there, boy. That's hallowed ground. There are sacred sites. You better keep an eye out, especially in those places, or they will... His grandson walked up. Come on, Grandpa. He interrupted. It's dinner, and you got to get in. The last time I saw Glenn Plunker, he was being wheeled into the house, mumbling loudly. Uh, mumbling loudly. Uh, yep, getting time to burn it. Burn it all, he was referring to the forest. He looked over at me and shouted, You be watchful, boy. They're up there. His voice trailed off as the door closed behind him, including his final command. Burn it all. The future would prove those words prophetic. Hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> it kind of throws a bit of humor in with, uh, you know, kind of the, the dark uh, portending what's, what's to come, I guess, you know. <laughs> it was heavy. You know, I mean, yeah, but the I mean, the symbolism I... there. Yeah. Can you kind of d- dive into that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, but it was interesting how the fishing guide, I mean, he understood it. Exactly, you know, yeah. The two of them were on the same page. Up there. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's the thing is that, you know, the takeaway message in that also is that is that in everybody's respective area, mm-hmm. I mean, this is around the globe, that there's occasionally you run across these spots that are of a sacred nature. Mm-hmm. And you may or may not know it, you may or may not sense it, but, you know, they've been used traditionally for thousands of years as such. And so so it's kind of interesting when you get out there in different places, like the Judicula Rock is an example in, in Western North Carolina. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, you know, there's places in Kentucky and different places that, that have these places. And so it's- a, um, All across so the it's world, really essentially. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. All over the world. And so- well, with so, you, so with yeah, you so delving into um, kind of combining, you know, ancient native lore and with a lot of the adventurous aspects and, you know, and with magical realism, I was going to ask, I mean, how did you kind of approach writing that? Um, I know, you you know, obviously you want to stay respectful and make sure that things are authentic, but at the same time, I know you kind of up the, the adventure aspect of events that happen in the book. So I was just kind of curious on how you balance that out. Um, I did that through... Because um, I know it came through years and years of research. Um, yes, mm-hmm. yes, a lot of research, a lot of talking to to various uh, people, both tribal members mm-hmm. and yes. also and also just people in general. And then from there also diving into the Bigfoot world a little bit just mm-hmm. to get what they are doing. And so and so it did take a lot of, you know, there's a lot of backstories in this. Um, you know, and I wanted to be obviously respectful and careful about it. Um, you know, I I sort of made a steadfast pact with myself that I would not reveal tribal names and exactly. I would not reveal areas, mm-hmm. even yeah. though now I wish that, um, you know, you know, in the book that I should have done a map, you know, that shows sort of the general area, just like, just like mm-hmm. they do in the Lord of the Rings where, you know, like this is the land of the hobbits, you know, and this sort of thing. Yes. Um, and so it would have been fun to do a map mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, in my next book, <laughs> but anyways, it's a possibility. Yeah. you should, you should give it a go. Then. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, right. But, but basically to answer that question though, mm-hmm. is that, is that it, it did take a lot of research and, and also I felt like um, I, but there were salient points I wanted to hit upon mm-hmm. and I thought it was important to get the message out there that there's more to these things than just having them as, this this hairy fanged creature that attacks you know lost some scary folklore essentially you know you wanted to kind of put yeah that's why i do appreciate that how you brought in kind of the metaphysical aspect and a lot of philosophical 
um, things to mention yes. as well. So um, how you really tied that in. And it's kind of interesting. I was going to ask, um, just concerning you jumping from um, outside of the horror genre, uh, did you at any point, you know, in your, you know, tr- studies of Bigfoot, uh, were you considering writing horror? Or as Bigfoot, you always approached the big Bigfoot, uh, you know, from that genre, from well, you know, realism. It would be much more popular, you know, and that's probably probably something that that appeals to me in that in that respect. Mm. Uh, I've got so many other things I want to write about, you know, but but it would be fun to do it in the horror genre just just to see, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and in a sense, I also did that with mm-hmm. him because because in a sense, like these hunters that want to mm-hmm. go after him. You know, some people might consider all oh, those evil hunters and so forth, but then others might say, "Hey, you know, those guys are out there with guns; they're having fun." What's the problem? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, I guess it's, it's all about perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see yeah, how you weren't exactly wanting to perpetuate the whole the whole narrative that uh, you know, he just belongs in the horror genre. Keep him there. Keep people scared of it. That whole concept. So, right. yeah, it's interesting. Right. Um, is there well, anything in particular you used as a tool in writing? I know that um, a lot of you said that a lot of these books or the events that happened in this book obviously happened in real life. So, was any of this kind of therapeutic for you? I know that writing is therapeutic for essentially anybody whether you're writing fiction and it's not based on anything that happened in life or whether it's something that you know you're pretty much doing what you did where most of it is based on real events more or less um was it kind of a therapeutic tool for you yes it was mm-hmm. i mean i i felt like um i wanted to get that story out there mm-hmm. and so and i also wanted to provide insight to the story that i would place out there so it was something that i that um that it was it was somewhat therapeutic. I felt like I should have, um, I you know, it, you know, in a way, I wanted to be careful with that because I also wanted to, to to make it of entertaining value to the reader, and mm-hmm. so, so that was very important. Exactly. Um, you know, and that's that's also how it's changing. Where I'm writing it in the format of dialogue, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and more and more through the lens of a camera rather than rather than a written word. Exactly. It's funny because we had just discussed that on our last, um, our episode three, our last podcast, and just kind of talked about the difference in, you know, I actually talked about how a lot of authors do start with dialogue. So we, we discussed how, you know, having the ability to write a good screenplay will help you with uh, writing a novel and vice versa, essentially, you know, um, just how it's kind of its own toolkit uh, in writing dialogue and fleshing it out, making it authentic. So since you are working on this mini series, can you talk a bit about uh, how your writing technique has changed? Um, coming from someone who has wrote this magical realism novel, you know, uh, that mostly focuses heavily. You do have a lot of great, you know, great dialogue sequences, but it fo- focuses heavily on the narrative to push the story along versus the screenplay that focuses, lets dialogue carry the story along, mm-hmm. so to speak. So how is that for you? Um, how's that, so, how's that shift for you? <laughs> essentially, so as a writer. Challenging. It's challenging. challenging. I mean, right. I'm dealing with a lot of, um, with a lot of writer's block and uh, trying to figure it out, you know, going in the backyard and kicking rocks around, um, you know, um, just trying to figure out how to best convey the message. Mm-hmm. And, and then from there, how to carry the reader and or viewer into the story where, you know, they literally get dragged up in the net with the fish that is placed on the fishing boat mm-hmm. that um, that is up there in Alaska. And so, so I'll give an example. And, and this is just a peak page. And um, okay. and basically, the story would open, and so this is on a backdrop of mountain ridges and forests, oddly different. 
Two sets of hands and shaggy looking heads climbing over a sharp rock wall leading to a side meadow just off the main trail nearby. Sig, you know we're both crazy for doing this risky stunt. Look, Sax, I know it's here, the small one yelled. It won't be here for very long either. In the meadow, standing upright, a shimmering disc seems to float in the air. Sig, you are sure this rock will travel all the way? Sax asks. Sig shows off the rock as hard as a hard, shiny piece of platinum. Yes, this will make it to the other world. I overheard Master Bostrom talk, talk from one of your classes. What? You little rascal. You could be in a lot of trouble for that. We could both be in deeper for this, Sax pleads. Sig turns his head and replied, I've overheard you say, take the risk and reap the reward. So which is it? Okay, Sax, exasperated. We take risks for something worthy, not petty crimes that violate trust among elders. You are just crazy, Sig. Sig is already running towards the disc on his young short legs and, is th and throws as hard as he can into the center of the disc. It gets sucked in, disappearing into the liquidus oval. Sax quickly runs over and grabs Sig, pulling him away, Sig laughing. The scene expands out to the unusual night sky with planets close in. And so this is where, in a blue-green Milky Way close by, mm -hmm. that indicates, okay, this is happening on another planet. And so, and so the, the scene would, would dictate that. So the shiny rock flying at hyperspeed through space in a traversable wormhole, almost imperceivable on its trajectory for Earth. And then open at night, a celestial galaxy alive and moving, shooting stars amid distant planets above, the rock descending down, down, down into blue-gray cloud, a loud wind growing louder, clouds break momentarily, closing from 6,000 feet, whistling and descending with breaking waves, becoming more visible in the sounds of a howling wind and an angry sea, fading in from 2,000 feet above, a fishing trawler getting bounced about in a place known for rough waters and confused seas. Close in, closer, the rock is falling ahead of the ship, and then the rock would fall in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And, and from there, that's when you'd see the school of cod, and then the net would sweep them up. And then the story would, would basically open on the, the factory trawler floor and all the, you know, and all the activities there, and then go up into the galley area where, where Alex is working. And then it would... Oh, then yeah. It well, yeah, you, you said that perfectly when you said you're kind of uh, writing it now through the lens of a camera or from the actor's perspective, I suppose. So, yeah, your, your yeah. emphasis on dialogue is really really shows through through there. But um, So I'm kind of yeah. curious, um, and I think it would be good just to explain to the audience a bit how your your book, The Ridge Walkers, honestly transcends the Bigfoot genre because, you know, people have a lot of stigmas and their idea of what, what the, the Bigfoot crowd entails and kind of um, what that the lore is behind it in the legend. So um, kind of explain a little bit how you wrote it specifically to where the Ridge Walkers can appeal to the science fiction crowd or, you know, and again, bringing up the environmental message that is within your book because you've also somewhat, uh, you know, briefly, obviously it is totally, two totally different worlds, um, but you did compare it somewhat to Avatar in a sense. So if you could kind of explain that a little bit for the audience and how you, um, how you wrote it that way intentionally. So... So it's it it was um so once again it was quite quite the journey to be able mm -hmm. to take this on, but I felt like within within the genre, 
that we needed we needed to have a different perspective on this. Yes. And and I also felt like um, that that these things. Um, well, first of all, you know, Americans, everyone loves a mystery, and exactly, so yes. you know, and that's that I think is is one of the fascinating things that holds so many people to this. Uh, it's why it's become so popular. It's mm -hmm. why you know these guys are out there with flashlights at night. Why does everybody's flashlight not work very well? You know, so that way it's like this little. It's like you're in this complete darkness. You don't get these flashlights that are bright as anything and light up everything. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's some faded little little beam out there. And of course, that just adds to the oh my god, what's going to jump out of the woods and do something bad? So uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a point of suspense mm -hmm. but but with this i felt like the um that the world building had to be there that that the other planet i also wanted to make it where it was somewhat in peril yes and the problems that they're having there and so you know and that could be a population of anything living on a planet that overruns the planet and so um and it could be also that the planet is also having problems like large asteroids and fun little things like mm -hmm. this that um, that kind of upset the apple cart exactly um, but the um but as far as but as far as the 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 horror genre or you know with with this i think people you know um i mean people love to be scared you know to mm -hmm. to actually go through those feelings and um and so and and so it was a and so it was a challenge, though, to make it where um, where I also kept the reader engaged, mm -hmm. and and also make it where you know the science fiction. I had to have science in this, exactly. And so and so this involved, this involved sort of a you know little touch of Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm -hmm. and it does, also yeah. you know the world building of Avatar, you know, and how the tribe would live and 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 sustain itself, mm -hmm. and then obviously there was the threat, and the threat being that people want the unobtainium. You know, mm -hmm. and so, you know, when that's, and this is the thing is that, is that in this case, the Bigfoot himself became the commodity and, um, exactly. and, that's, and that, that's what the hunter. And then the other thing I tried to tie in too was to have, or I did tie in was, was to have the treasure story, the treasure hunt. And in that same mode of using long range locators mm -hmm. that, that you could use that for finding a Sasquatch because it could help, because it could aid in finding those power spots. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so that was that was an extrapolation, but I thought it was a good one. You know that that it, I think it, it was an accurate of, comparison. That's definitely why I brought it up because I, I felt like it did do your, you know your book justice to to even make that comparison to begin with. So you know because like I said, you know people would look at it and like I said, there's that whole stigma that you're trying to break through concerning Bigfoot, and it really does. It tra totally transcends that um, just by breaking into those other genres and stuff. I am curious, yeah. so I was going to ask a bit about just the publishing process as a whole and your writing process and how you've evolved as a writer. Um, kind of like, what is a, was it a mantra or some advice that you've told yourself throughout this entire process um, that's kind of kept you going? I mean, what's really just kept you in the zone and kept you motivated throughout this entire thing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, have, I have to think about that. I think it was <laughs> something that I really, I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like I felt like the story would be popular enough. Mm -hmm. um, I have three or four other books I want to write, mm -hmm. uh, mainly about my my grandfather's story. And yeah, could you so talk forth. a bit like about those? Like, yeah, that was a question I was going to ask you: is uh, if you plan to branch into any other genres or or anything like that outside of the miniseries? Yes, this mm -hmm. would be so. So the other story that I'm writing right now, it, 
I even have a name for it, the Destroyer Man. And um, and that? basically, about it's about my grandfather. So this would go back, well, about 120 mm -hmm. years ago. Um, you know, and it would start. So I so I did it kind of chronologically, and it would be a two part book. Um, so it would have his early upbringing because because he grew up on a Shaker colony in Enfield, Connecticut, mm -hmm. and um, that is now. It's funny that 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 South Colony in Enfield is now the mm -hmm. Massachusetts State Penitentiary. <laughs> um, and, um, or at least part of it is. Yeah, um, I understand. But, but at any rate, his early upbringing and how, you know, he was born out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then from there, what happened was, was that was it was it World War One was afoot. Mm -hmm. And here he was a 16 year old. And, um, and basically his mother signing him up to go into the Navy. And, um, and obviously, he probably wanted to go anyways, you know, for duty and honor and mm -hmm. so forth like this. But, you know, he, so there's that internal struggle of where yet he was born with, or, you know, you know, raised in this community of peace loving shakers, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, to tell their story a little bit. But from there, he'd go into World War One. And then from there, he'd obviously get more training as he went through the years there in the early and, and mid 20s. Um, yeah, even having a, a, a picture of him where he's an instructor at the Naval Academy in uh, probably signalman duties and mm -hmm. so forth. Yes. But he was a, was a chief signalman at that time. Well, that would lead him into the USS Pittsburgh and aboard the, um, they're going over into China. And this was during a nationalist uprising or a civil war over there. And, you know, and, and basically explaining some of the political machinations that created that, that mm -hmm. whole situation there. Um, you know, and how these respective countries were were basically they sent over their destroyers or battleships to basically protect the embassies from the civil mm -hmm. war that was occurring and try to stay out of the civil war. Yes, I understand. And so, so that was an interesting mm -hmm. that was an interesting part. So that would be book one, and then book two would take him into World War Two. So this was after twenty years of service. He okay. was called back from the reserves, and then and then from there he was at. Um, basically all seven invasions aboard five different destroyers wow. in the european theater mm -hmm. and uh, you know culminating at d-day and then southern france mm -hmm. and um and so so, so as, yeah, as somebody who's a who is an author and historian and obviously you know you've you delve into a lot of the metaphysical um elements of things concerning your writing do you feel like this will be a challenge to go from I mean, obviously, there are some things within the Ridge Walkers that are true, but there are, you know, other aspects of it that were, you know. Um, but is that going to be a bit of a challenge for you to to shift from writing a book similar, like like the Ridge Walkers, into something that's just complete, straight, factual, um, just historical? It, do you think that will po pose a challenge for you as a writer, or help you grow, or anything? Oh yes, definitely, mm -hmm. because because I'm diving into more historical fiction. Exactly. Where story all the way through it mm -hmm. but i've got to reinvent the characters mm -hmm. and so um you know and you know and and it's like my style of art you know i love drawing mushrooms and salamanders yes, exactly and, you know, not battleships and mm -hmm. you know armament um yeah so, so are you gonna do illustrations for the th those as well i'm gonna try my college best. all right <laughs> <laughs> so it'll help so, you grow as a as an author and illustrator then huh right yeah. right yeah mm -hmm. or or just drive me to drink, you no. know, one or the other. Let's not do um, that. Just, just give up on it. Call, call somebody else if it gets to that point, Greg. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I, recommend I've it. But... There, no, no, no. I'm, I know. No, I'm done with my drink. <laughs> That's but, good. Um, 
but anyway, no, it's something. It's something that um, mm-hmm. that it, yeah, challenge, and it's also going to be you know it's going to require a voluminous amount of research. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but one such. I mean, here's one for you. I spent three and a half hours the other night up until midnight and past mm-hmm. um, going through the U.S. Naval Institute their archive of Mm -hmm. books they have for sale and there's there's 1132 books don't ask me why i remember that yeah but i went through every title Mm -hmm. and there was nothing on nationalist uprising in china in the uss pittsburgh zero Hmm. so 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 you know and i have the pictures i have you know all this different material about this so it'll be fun it'll be fun to to dig it up Mm right that even that even the naval institute might see a use of (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say so. So, um, yeah, it was. It's been a joy talking to you. I mean, I would, I would like to, you know, for you to throw any promotional stuff you would like to out there. I mean, I would highly recommend getting Greg's book. I mean, I've read it. Uh, we all have, honestly. And it's not like I've, I've explained this before. It's not just because that I worked on um, the book with you. As far as the, I didn't do the illustrations. Greg did, and they are wonderful. I would highly recommend checking those out. And you can also go and get those. Um, but. I did the cover for Greg's book. It was a absolute joy. And like I said, it's not just because that I, I worked alongside you. I mean, I would pick up this book and read it if I saw it on the shelf and had no idea who you were. I mean, I, yeah, I, w- I would have really enjoyed the book. So um, is there anything else you'd like to say just to kind of tell the audience to go check out your book? Um, um, yeah, check out the book and, you know, follow me on Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. I do a lot of historical stuff on there, yes. um, you know, especially regional historic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so I'm so I'm active in a community in Southwest Oregon, and um, and it's but it's but it's been a wonderful journey. The word journeys, hey, great wording there, guys. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's. Thank you for pointing out, Greg. Really, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think I think that um, you know it's and you know I think with writers, especially new writers mm-hmm. or the new authors. It's always, you know, this, this, where they're always trying to improve. They're always trying exactly. to, you know, get it better, write it better, you know, edit, edit, edit. Have I mentioned editing? Um, yeah. And so, and so it just requires the struggle. You know, yes. <laughs> you know, focus and focus and, but, it, but it's been great, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I, I do not regret, you know, one minute of, of mm-hmm. doing all this and getting the help. You know, and that's one thing that offers, I think, you know, we need help, you know, um, <laughs> mentally, physically, um, you know, uh, literally, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, in all in all aspects of this. And Alexa Black's artwork on the front cover was was a was a major seller. I mean, it's well, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's really good. Um, you know, and so and so I hold no regrets. Um, but I still need I'm still going to need the help. You know, so <laughs> it's, Keep up your good work, you know. Well, you um, keep up the good know, work too, Greg. Keep writing. Um, you know, the audience and the fan base that you've built that really enjoy the book. And not only that, I mean, really enjoy just your, your postings, your musings, the philosophical musings are really interesting. And uh, the historical, the tidbits on Bigfoot are obviously great. So you keep up the good work as well. I really enjoyed chatting with you. So, And I look forward to having you back on. Whenever you get done with the mini series i'd like to have you back on and when you get started you know either midway or when you get uh you know the historical book published we'd love to have have you back on as a guest so cool thank you yep definitely yep you'll be a repeat guest so <laughs> but yeah it was all great right. it was great talking with you so all right all right thank you okay thank you all right so anyways once again that was author greg walter with 
The Ridge Walkers. Quite a good book. Very adventurous. Uh, very interesting tale. If you've been with us the entire interview, so um, I would highly recommend you get the book. Obviously. Um, so we're going to do what we do every single time to end our episodes, and that will be reading the tar- chart toppers, uh, New York Times bestseller list, fiction and nonfiction. So I'll go through and read those. For fiction, number one is The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna. It's eight weeks on the list. Number two is Win by Harlan Coben. Two weeks on the list. Number three is The Consequences of Fear by Jacqueline Winspear, which is new this week. Uh, number four is Double Jeopardy by Stuart Woods. Um, also new this week. And then number five would be The Bounty by um, Janet Ivanovich um, and Steve Hamilton, which is new this week, and I apologize if I messed up the spelling, pronunciation of her name. Um, Nonfiction would be, uh, the nonfiction category would be, uh, number one, The Codebreaker by Walter Isaacson, uh, three weeks on the list. Number two is Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, which is 23 weeks on the list. Uh, number three, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Folk, or uh, 31 weeks on the list. Number four is Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, 34 weeks on the list. And number five is Becoming by Michelle Obama, which is 102 weeks on the list. That's quite an accomplishment there. So, um, anyways, really enjoyed this episode. Um, you guys just stick with us and we'll keep bringing you all content, so keep visiting. Um, be sure to follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, all of our socials. We're essentially on everything. Uh, the handle is at Word Journeys. So we have a ton of cool tips on there. Um, Just anything that's going on in the literary world, we pretty much are on top of it and cover it. So just stick with us and uh, we'll see what happens. All right, thank you. Thank you for joining us at Front Page Pass, where we present everything from new titles to rocking interviews with best-selling authors and publishing experts, writing and editing tips, the latest on the bookshelves for readers, and live coverage of writers' festivals, conferences, and author signings. Our mission, to serve up the world in a thrilling, wonderful, and most adventurous new way.